Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 7 of The Black Flemings by Kathleen Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7. Flora's little Christmas house party for her daughter was a small affair, after all but to gabriella's confused eyes there seemed to be eighteen laughing and talking persons rather than eight in the sitting-room when she came in the girls had flung off their big coats but still wore hats and were apparently only warming their hands and finishing their greetings before being distributed in bedrooms upstairs from the group however sylvia instantly separated and gabriella forgot everything else in the pleasure of seeing her cousin again Sylvia gave her a warm, laughing kiss, and stood talking to her with one arm still about her, holding the girl off while she studied her face. "'Well, Gay, how you've grown up, and with the hair up, too. Mama wrote me all about you, but I had quite a different sort of person in mind. How dare you be fair among all us black Flemings!' And with her arm still about Gay, she turned to the others for the introductions." Last of all came David's greeting with his kindly smile and keen-eyed inspection, and when his hand touched hers, Gabriella was conscious of that same suffocating flutter at her heart again, and dared scarcely raise her eyes. "'Mama, you're simply a miracle worker,' Sylvia was saying gratefully. "'I knew there'd be fires, and I knew you'd realize how weary and cold we are. But upon my word, I hardly know wastewater.' this room is actually civilized i promise you nothing for the halls sylvia said to her guests but we can run through them at full speed and as long as the rooms are warm she was beautiful no question of it dark vivid and glowing yet with something queenly and superb about her too instantly it seemed to gay that she had never been parted from sylvia that all these separated school years had been a dream. Years ago, as a bony, pallid, big-toothed little girl, it had been decided that a balmier climate than wastewater would be wise for Gay, and she was bundled off to the southern branch of the Boston convent quite contentedly and had been happy there. But now she remembered how close she and Sylvia had been in the days of sandcastles and flower ladies and that sylvia even then had this same bright sweet responsive manner that was yet impressive and fine with something of a conscious high integrity in it something principled and constructive even in her gayest moods sylvia was really gay came back to the word with another little prick of envy really superior she was poised where gay was simple she was definite where gay was vague her voice had pleasant affectations. She broadened her A's in the Boston manner. And Sylvia's youth and her fresh, glowing beauty kept these things from being in the least displeasing. She was happy, now, delighted with the unwanted warmth and brightness of the old house, delighted to be home, 
and perhaps delighted too to find herself already the most important person here with these friends of hers seeing this big imposing old mansion as some day to be all her own not tea maria she said eagerly to the old servant mamma i congratulate you upon introducing anything like tea into wastewater for maria followed by daisy one of the newer maids was indeed beaming and behind a loaded tray i thought we'd dine about seven dear said flora crimped rustling flushed with excitement and that you might like the hot drink after your trip it's not six yet i assure you girls sylvia laughingly said my mother's treating you like royalty i've been telling them all the way down resumed sylvia now dispensing the tea with quick murmurs and dexterous quiet movements that gay secretly admired that we are absolutely victorian here and rather uncomfortable into the bargain tea's victorian gabriella said as she paused it's just plain bread and butter she added smiling at the elder miss montalan hospitably tea's victorian of course and i dare say coal fires and lamps and comfort are victorian too and i like them both too much to find any fault with terminology gay sylvia said cheerfully we live in just such a country house outside of quebec we're quite accustomed to country winters murmured the charming voice of the older miss montalan the travellers drank their tea standing exclaimed over the delicious home-made bread the young men were rather silent exchanging little friendly murmurs and grins except that one named frank de spain attached himself instantly to gabriella flora chatted sylvia made the right comments david stood by the mantel tall pleased smiling at them all gay hardly identified the other men until dinner-time so entirely monopolized was her attention by the one meanwhile sylvia was delighted again upstairs nothing could make wastewater anything but old-fashioned clumsy draughty but the old rooms did look hospitable and comfortable the beds were heaped with covers and there were two more air-tight stoves roaring here daisy and sarah were rushing about with great pictures of hot water the girls scattered their effects from room to room and went to and fro in wrappers laughing and running sylvia's usual room was on the second floor next to her mother's but for this occasion flora had grouped all the young persons on the third floor where the rooms were smaller better lighted in winter and connecting outside the snow fell fell the world was wrapped in winding sheets muffled and disguised and the snow fell softly on the surface of the running white-capped waves and was devoured by them whenever a window was opened a rush of pure cold snowy air rushed in and the bare-armed girls who had wanted a breath of it had to shut it out laughing and gasping once more but inside wastewater's old walls there were noise and merriment songs about the old piano laughing groups about the fires and the delicious odors the clatter and tinkle of china and silver around the solemnly wavering candles on the dining-room table gabriella could not talk much for sylvia and these particular friends had shared several holidays and their chatter was of other times and places but her cheeks glowed with excitement 
and she moved her star sapphire eyes from one face to another eagerly as if unwilling to lose a word of their talk and again sylvia was always superior she was evidently a girl who took her college life seriously studied and excelled and enjoyed studying and excelling she was prominent in various undergraduate organizations interested in the best developments of this and that element in school life the best way to handle problems of all sorts laura and gwen montalan immensely admired her gabriella could see and were continually referring to her in little affectionate phrases ah oh, yes but you see you can do that sort of thing sylvia for they'll all listen to you or sylvia here with her famous diplomacy went straight to the dean the men gabriella thought were unusually nice types too they were all in the early twenties none was rich and all seemed serious and ambitious bart montalan was to have a small diplomatic berth when he graduated in june arthur tipping was already well started toward a junior membership in his uncle's law firm and spoke concernedly of making a home for his mother and little sisters as soon as he could and frank Duspain was a joyous talkative youth who confessed when he sat next to gay at dinner that his people were not especially pleased with his college record and that unless he wanted trouble with his parents he had to make good by gum he told gay that his father had a ranch near pasadena and gay widened her eyes and said wistfully it sounds delicious david looking approvingly at her from the head of the table thought the velvet gown with the embroidery collar and cuffs a great success altogether the young guests were simple unspoiled enthusiastic about the delicious triumph of a meal and over the pleasantness of being free from studies and together gay impressed by this and anxious to establish cousin-like relations with sylvia said something of it rather shyly when sylvia came in for a few friendly moments of chat alone late that night the evening had been delightful gay thought for a while they had all played a hilarious card game for the prize david offered the prize being a large conch shell which david himself had selected upon a hilarious and candle-lighted search through the freezing wilderness of some of the downstairs rooms and then they had stood talking about the fire and finally had grouped themselves about it the girls packed into chairs in twos the men on the floor for five more minutes and five more of pleasant weary desultory conversation david had held his favorite position during this talk standing with one arm on the mantel and his charming smile turned to the room and gabriella noticed or thought she did that he rarely moved his eyes from sylvia's face but when he did it was almost always to give her gay a specially kind look every moment she could not help it made him seem more wonderful and every one of his rare words deepened the mysterious tie that drew her strangely confused strangely happy and strangely sad nearer and nearer to him there was another portrait of roger here this one painted in about his fortieth year handsomer than ever still smiling a book open before him on a table a beautiful ringed hand dropped on a collie's lovely feathered ruff 
"'That was your father, Mr. Fleming?' Gwen Montallon had asked, looking up at Roger's likeness. "'Stepfather. My father died before I was born,' David said, with his ready, attentive interest. "'My mother married Mr. Fleming when I was only a baby.' "'And where does Gabriella come in?' asked Gwen, who had taken a fancy to the younger girl and was showing it in the kindly modern fashion. "'Well, let's see. Gay's mother was Aunt Flora's sister,' David elucidated. "'They were Flemings, too.' "'It's complicated,' admitted David, smilingly. "'To get us Fleming straightened out, you really have to go back thirty years, to the time I was a baby. My mother was a young widow then, who had married a David Fleming, who was a sort of cousin of Uncle Roger. He doesn't come into the story at all.' "'And that's Uncle Roger?' Laura Montalan asked, looking up at the picture. "'That's Uncle Roger,' David nodded. I was only a baby when my mother married him, and he was the only father I remember. A year after she married him, my mother had another boy baby, so there were two of us growing up here together. Ah, you have a half-brother, Laura asked. I think I have, David answered with a grave smile. But Tom ran away to the sea when he was about fourteen, fifteen years ago now, and we've not heard of him since. "'Is it fifteen years?' they heard Flora say, in a low tone, as if to herself. "'But how romantic,' Gwen said, with round eyes. "'Wouldn't you know a wonderful old place like this?' the girl added, and in the little silence they heard the winter wind whine softly about the sealed shutters of wastewater. "'Wouldn't you know that an old place like this would have a story? "'So there's a runaway son. "'We did hear from him once.' "'From Pernambuco, and once from Guam, David,' Gay reminded him animatedly. "'Do it get in order,' Laura begged. "'I've not yet fitted Sylvia in, much less Gabriella.' "'Well,' David said, returning to his story. "'So there was my mother. She was pretty, wasn't she, Aunt Flora?' "'Beautiful,' Flora said briefly. "'There was my mother, Uncle Roger, her husband, and Tom, and me,' resumed David." Then, this was an old-fashioned household, you know. There was a sort of cousin of his, David nodded at the picture, whom we called Aunt John. That was my Aunt Flora's mother, and she kept house for us all. And Aunt Flora and Aunt Lily were her daughters. Oh, yes. And then there was Uncle Roger's younger brother, Will, who used to play the banjo and sing. What was that song about the boy and his sister Sue? The boy that ate green apples, Aunt Flora, and a short time ago, boys, an Irishman named Dougherty was elected to the Senate by a very large majority. Oh, wonderful, said Laura Montalan, and Gay said eagerly, Oh, David, go on. I wish I could remember it all, David said regretfully, and there was another about the prodigal son, and one about the blow almost killed father. "'Oh, David, David,' said Aunt Flora, between a laugh and a sob. "'Well, anyway, Tom and I used to think Uncle Will's songs the most delightful things we ever heard,' David went on. "'So that was the family when I was very small. Mother, Dad, as we both called Uncle Roger, Aunt Flora, Aunt Lily, who was very delicate and romantic, Uncle Will and his banjo, 
and of course aunt john who was a little wisp of a gray woman what is it gay for gay had made a sudden exclamation nothing the girl said quickly clearing her throat she looked very pale in the warm firelight then they sent tom and me off to school in connecticut and then and david's voice lowered suddenly and he looked straight ahead of him into the coals then our mother died very suddenly do you remember that you drove the buckboard into crowchester to meet us aunt flora when we came home ah yes flora said from a deep reverie david fitting it all together in his memory remembered now that in here chronologically came flora's engagement to roger fleming but he looked up at the picture above the mantel and then at her face absent-eyed and stern now and cupped in her hand as if to promise that secret at least should not be betrayed less than a year after my mother's death he went on uncle roger married again a very young girl cecily kent was it aunt flora cecily kent flora echoed briefly who was very delicate and who was in fact dying for years david went on anyway that same year aunt flora married uncle will and well that's where sylvia comes in and little aunt lily married a man named charpentier and that's where gabriella comes in and a few years later tom ran away that broke my stepfather's heart and i suppose his wife's health didn't cheer him up exactly and then my stepfather's little second wife died and then uncle will died david summarized it all rapidly and after he had hunted my half-brother tom for years he died and david finished with a final nod toward roger's picture and you've never found tom not even when his father died we don't know that he knows it even it was just before all the confusion and change of the big war yes but if your aunt lily was only a third cousin of your stepfather and married a man named charpentier he your stepfather i mean wasn't really any relation to gabriella then when persisted with another puzzled look from the portrait to gay's glowing face a sort of distant cousin but that goes pretty far back flora said unexpectedly breaking through another conversation that she had been having on the other side of the fireplace my sister and i were cousins of roger fleming third cousins and my mother lived here kept house for him for years my husband was william fleming roger's brother but gabriella is my sister's child a sister named lily who died many years ago it's hopelessly tangled gay said with a laugh no but look look here gwen montalan had persisted gently catching gay by the shoulder for they were all standing at the moment she wheeled her about so that the company could encompass with one look the painted likeness of the man of forty and the eighteen-year-old girl do you see it laura she said eagerly the mouth and the shape of the eyes i saw it the instant she came into the room i see it young bart montalan agreed with a nod for a while i couldn't think who miss gabriella looked like and then i knew it was the picture nonsense sylvia said looking from one to the other uncle roger had such black hair and such white skin really your coloring sylvia david suggested 
but apart from the coloring he added i see the likeness look at gay's mouth look at aunt flora no you may see it in the picture flora said with her voice plunging in her throat like a candle flame in the wind but they they are not alike lily my sister gabriella's mother was dark with rosy cheeks something like roger but roger roger never looked much like that picture he hated it always said it made him look fat she was battling so obviously for calm that sylvia remembered with sudden compunction that mamma was the last of her generation after all and that it was no secret she had certainly once if not twice been engaged to marry roger fleming sylvia exchanged a significant warning look with david and they immediately guided the conversation into safer channels but david was shocked and astonished to notice a few minutes later that his aunt's forehead under the festive crimping of the gray hair was wet that was all of that nobody apparently paid any more attention to the trivial episode unless gay felt an odd and indefinable satisfaction in being thought like uncle roger in being thus included in the fleming ranks she was trying to see this likeness at her own mirror an hour later when sylvia brushing her hair and in a red wrapper infinitely becoming came in the girls are asleep reported sylvia and i don't like to light my lamp because gwen's in with me i stayed downstairs a few minutes to talk to david i see him so little nowadays a sharp stiletto twisted in gay's heart she could see them lingering in the darkened room by the dying fire sylvia so beautiful with her glossy black coils of hair drooping and her face glowing with firelight and winter roses and david looking down at her with that kindly half amused half admiring look just a few minutes intimate talk perhaps only of sylvia's affairs perhaps only of her mother's health but binding these two together in that old friendship kinship utter ease and understanding mutual liking and admiration despair came suddenly upon gabriella and she wanted to get away away from sylvia's superiorities and advantages away from sylvia's long outdistancing upon the road to david's friendship gay thought braiding and brushing her own long hair that she did not want sylvia's money she did not want anything that sylvia had she only wanted to be where she need not hear about it they all say such kind things of you gay sylvia told her with that pleasantness that was quite unconsciously and only faintly tinged with patronage it was then that gay aware of little pin-pricks of her pride said something of the delightful quality of the guests the sisters had the idea that all college girls are either terribly bob-haired flappers who smoke cigarettes gay said laughing or blue stockings who think science can disprove all that religion has ever claimed sylvia smiled at her through the mirror and what made you think i could make such girls my friends she asked lightly reproachful with an air of quietly posing her cousin and even in this pleasant little phrase gay detected the pretty pride in herself her line her blood her code and intelligence and judgment that indeed actuated all that sylvia did no the montalans are 
unusual, Sylvia added half to herself. And so, she said, smiling, as she dexterously pinned up her rich black braid, so it was all the richer that they should like my cousin Gabriella. Tell me, she went on, how do things go here? Are you happy, getting nicely rested? Not too lonely? Rested? Gay echoed at a loss. Between school, Sylvia explained, and, and what? She said the last word with a really winning and interested smile, and sat looking expectantly at Gay, with an air almost motherly. "'Or have you plans?' she elucidated, as Gay looked puzzled. "'Is there something you tremendously want to do?' "'If you are like me,' Sylvia added, now with just a hint of academic enlightenment in her voice, "'you have forty instead of one.' I almost wish sometimes I had to choose what I would do. I adore teaching. I love languages. I'd love anything to do with books. Old books. Reviewing books. Library work. Even bindings. My professor of economics wants me to go after a doctor's degree, and my English man wants me to write books. So there you are. And here is David telling me that I must learn to manage my own estate. Gay flushed, and hated herself for flushing. She had often enough, in the last quiet weeks, thought that she would like to work, to do anything rather than dream through all her quiet days at Wastewater. She had thought vaguely of little tea-shops with blue cotton runners, and the companionship of some little girl of fourteen who would adore her, of offices, schools but embarrassed and taken by surprise, with her thoughts in no sort of order, she stammered, half-laughingly, she knew not why, that she had thought she might like to be an actress. Sylvia's look of astonishment was so perfectly what it should have been that Gay felt even less comfortable than before. "'But, my dear child,' she said amusedly, "'I don't believe that would be practical.' We have absolutely no connections in that line, you know. And you're quite too young. I don't mean, Sylvia went on, kindly as gay, hot-cheeked, was silent, very busy with night ribbons. I don't mean that it isn't a splendid profession for some women, but it takes character, it takes experience, associations. What makes you feel that you are fitted for it? Have you? You can't have. "'Seen more than a dozen plays in your life.' "'I just thought of it,' Gay said, with an uncomfortable laugh. "'Then I think you should just stop thinking of it,' Sylvia said. And with an affectionate arm about Gay's waist, she nodded toward the thick rope of tawny braided hair. "'Such pretty hair, Gay.' "'Yours is gorgeous, Sylvia,' the younger girl returned. I noticed tonight that it is so black that it actually made Dave's dinner coat look gray when you stood beside him. I like my black wig, Sylvia returned contentedly, because it's Fleming. I don't think I should feel quite right with anything but the family hair. But when all's said and done, this color of yours is the hair of poets, Gay. She said it charmingly, and she meant it, too. For like many women of unchallenged beauty, Sylvia was very simple and unself-conscious about her appearance, and seemed to take no more personal credit for the milk-white skin, rose cheeks, 
and midnight hair than for her perfect digestion or the possession of her senses. You're the one who looks like Uncle Roger, Sylvia. In coloring, perhaps. How much do you remember him, Gay? Oh, clearly. I was nearly seven when he died, you know. I really loved him, Sylvia said dreamily and I hope I can keep up all the old traditions and customs he loves so here at Wastewater. I inherit a love for him, she added, with a significant look and smile. There is no question that my mother loved him dearly for years. Oh, she loved my father, too, later on, and perhaps in a finer way, went on Sylvia, who could fit such meaningless phrases together with all the suavity of college-bred twenty but her first love was for Uncle Roger. Do you think he... Gay began, and paused. He... Go on, Gay. Do you mean did he break the engagement? No, Sylvia stated definitely. I imagine he did not. He was a gentleman, after all. But probably there was a quarrel. Mama was much admired and a beauty, and she's a perfect Lucifer for pride, you know and neither one would give way. Gay accepted this with all the pathetic faith of her years. She could not possibly imagine Aunt Flora as a beauty, but every middle-aged woman who talked of her own youth had been one, and Gay was perfectly willing to believe that the last a beautiful generation. She thought of a picture she had seen of Aunt Flora as a bride, in a plumed hat, enormous puffed sleeves, a five-gored skirt sweeping the ground, a wasp waist with a chattelene bag dangling from the belt, and a long-handled parasol held out like Bo Peep's crook, and lost the thread of Sylvia's conversation. There was not much more. Sylvia expressed for the twentieth time her entire delight and gratitude for all that had been done to start the house-party successfully and parted from Gay with a final kiss and a few warm words about the pleasantness of having a nice little cousin in the house. It was only when the room was dark that Gay, snuggling resolutely down against icy pillows to sleep, began to review the whole long day with that wearisome thoroughness that is a special attribute of tired excited eighteen on a winter night the flowers the dusting the beds the tramp in the woods the funny old woman bunching herself along in the snow the arrival and the tea and the warm rooms and icy halls and the splendid dinner and the talk gay ached all over with her eyelids actually shutting, she said to herself in a panic that she was too tired to sleep. Her big room was dark, cool, full of dim shapes, but a fan of friendly light came through the hall transom, and she could hear men's voices somewhere, laughing and talking gruffly. David and the boys, there was nothing to fear. Outside the snow fell, whispering, tinkling, piling up solemnly and steadily in the dark. After all, it was the little old woman who had Gay's last conscious thought. The girl started wide awake from her first drowsing, slipping into unconsciousness, with her heart hammering again, and her wild eyes roving the room for a whole frightened minute, before its familiar peace lulled her into calm again. That writhing, shadowy, white and gray thing, in the white and gray shadow of the hedge, 
and in the muffling softness of the curtaining snow. Horse, big dog, child? No, it was a terrible yellow-faced old woman. What a whining cry she had given! And how astonishing later had been her recognition of Flora and Margaret! Well, whether she had walked home in the blizzard, or gone up the chimney on a broomstick was, after all, not Gay's affair. But she had most assuredly not been driven into Keyport, or Crochester by John. Gay thought that she was meeting this old forlorn, half-witted thing again in the snowy lane, but this time David was with her. End of chapter 7《Chapter Eight of the Black Flemings by Kathleen Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight. The rest of the house party was to her thrilling but too rapidly flying dream. The young people walked, rosy and whirled and beaten and shouting with laughter, in the formidable ending of the storm the next day. They ate ravenously, laughed a great deal and formed a whole new series of those special jokes and phrases that come into being in every successful house-party. A dozen small incidents a day sent them into gales of mirth, and the recollection and recounting of these same incidents rendered everyone incoherent and hysterical at meals. On the third day of the five the sun came out resplendent and dazzling, if not very warm, and the sea turned a clear sapphire with jade-green lights where the chastened waves broke over the rocks. The sky was pale, high, clear, and bright as enamel, and the snow frozen hard underfoot. Skating was attempted in the old tennis court. There was snowballing, faces grew hot, and deluges of the soft and silent cotton fell from low branches and spattered the girls' coats and the men's shoulders. Maids were always sweeping the mud and snow-strewn side entry now, and hurrying away with wet wraps. On the last night came the Christmas dance, when everybody knew everybody else, and the mere hasty dinner beforehand and the ecstasy of dressing after dinner were, Gabriella thought, delight enough. They had trimmed the house yesterday with holly and greens and even the Montalans had pushed chairs about with hearty good will, and climbed on ladders to try out chandeliers. Gabriella told herself a hundred times that she must refuse to dance. She did not really know how to dance well. She was the youngest, anyway, and must make herself Sylvia's right hand as hostess. But in the end, studying herself in the café au lait lace gown, which came up almost to the round creamy column of her throat and down almost to her ankles, and which had long, delicately fluted sleeves to her very wrists, and was altogether demure to the point of affectation. Gay hoped that she would be asked to dance. Frank Duspain would surely be kind if she did not dance very well. There will be a dozen prettier dresses tonight than this one, she told herself going slowly downstairs and wishing in a panic that the others had waited for her. Suppose they laughed at this dress. Nuns and graduate pupils as old as the Countess might not be supposed to know much about clothes. However, only a few guests had arrived, shy charming girls and boys from the old mansions in and about Crochester. The musicians were tuning up deliciously 
and the big floor shone inviting and bare. Sylvia, being introduced and introducing with her mother's and David's help, had time to say generously, "'It's charming. It's just right for you, Gay. Absolutely suitable.' And Gay's heart soared and her cheeks warmed. She became the pleasantest and most efficient of hostesses, piloting mothers and guardians to chairs, chatting simply and merrily, and too absorbed in the delightful scene to know or care what was happening to herself. Aunt Flora was quite magnificent in plum color, her nearest approach in many years to clothing that was not mourning. The Montalan girls were pretty in pink and silver and blue and silver gauze. Sylvia was superb in a simple white brocade with a thread of gold. Her gold slippers made her look unusually tall and there was a gold spray of something that looked like thistle-down in her hair. Gabriella was near enough to her sometimes to hear the pleasant sweetness of her replies to neighborly greetings. Indeed I remember the Robinsons. I shall be coming home very soon now, you know, doctor, and I certainly mean my good neighbors to be part of the new life. Mrs. George, and this is never Betty. Well, Betty, no. But I shall really be home in June, and then we'll make some changes here, and see if we can't make wastewater a little more comfortable. And now and then she turned to David, in a fashion that was sisterly, yet not quite sisterly either, and with her lovely smile. David, I wonder if you'd call Maria or Daisy's attention to those candles. They'll be dripping directly. Or, David, will you send Mrs. Wilkinson's coat upstairs? She doesn't want to go up. Gabriella was talking to a nice old couple, established expectantly at one of the two card tables that had been provided, when the first dance started. Sylvia was still in the receiving line beside her mother, but David came up to the card table with another bridge-playing elderly couple, and when the four had settled themselves and cut the new pack, he stood smiling before Gay, with his tall, sleek black head a little bent and his eyes on her, and his arms open. "'Come on, Gay.' "'Oh, but, David,' she said, flurried, "'I don't dance. At least, I know I dance badly, for it's been mostly with girls.' "'Really? Really, I'd rather not—' David altered neither his position nor his expression. "'Come on,' he said, and Gay, with her face flushing exquisitely under the warm colorless skin, put herself into his arms and this was for her the wonderful moment of a wonderful evening. She liked to remember that happy second, when the lights and music and flowers and voices were all shining and flashing together in the shabby old ballroom, and David had made her dance with him. They moved off smoothly. There were a few other couples already dancing, and presently David said, I got the book, Miss Mansfield's book, with your doll's house story in it and it's truly remarkable. Oh, I'm so glad you read it for yourself, Gay exclaimed. You gave it to me quite as effectively, David commented, and was still again. But after a few moments, while they were walking before the first encore, he said, You dance delightfully. Don't have the slightest hesitation about dancing. And later, when they came up to Sylvia and Aunt Flora, he repeated to them, she dances perfectly, of course. I've been trying her out. I hope we'll hear no more of this not being able to dance. 
Gay had a second's uncomfortable impression that Sylvia was not quite pleased, but as David immediately carried Sylvia off for the second dance, there was no time to wonder at it. Gay dutifully took Sylvia's place beside her aunt, but almost all the guests had arrived now. The girls and Aunt Flora had counted them, forty-three, a hundred times, but now Flora whispered with a sort of agitated pride that there were fifty-one, and with the household, sixty-one. It was many years since Wastewater had had a party of this size. Sylvia says that we must have a furnace put in, sighed Flora, and that means tearing up floors. Goodness knows what. Gay now plunged into the delights of her first real dance with all the ecstasy of eighteen. She danced with anyone and everyone. She scarcely knew or cared with whom, but she was always conscious of David, who, in his character as host, was obviously taking upon himself the responsibility for whatever girl looked momentarily like a wallflower, or whatever elderly woman needed an escort across the room. The glorious, crowded hours flew by, with laughter and compliments and music, with icy brief drinks, and the exchanges of congratulations. Isn't it all wonderful? We're having the most wonderful time. Isn't it? I'm so glad you're liking it. Then presently there was an old-fashioned and lavish supper, with bonbons and laughter, and Sylvia in a red, white, and blue tissue cap that made her look like a beautiful, proud young Liberty, and gay, mischievous, and delicious under a pompon black-and-white period hat. It was long after midnight, and the first goodbyes were being said, when Gay found herself sitting on the first step above the dim landing with David. I discovered this place, said David, panting and wiping his forehead, frankly. You can look down on them, and they can't see you. Glory, it's warm. Gay sat sweetly cool and radiant beside him. Her little slippers were planted neatly in front of her. Not a hair of the bright waves was disordered. Her skin had the cool, dewy freshness of a child's skin. Having a good time, Gay? Oh, David! What did you want to speak about? he asked, for she had begged him for a quiet word. It is this, Gay began. She was still talking rapidly and earnestly, five minutes later, when Sylvia came tripping down behind them from the dimly lighted upper hall, with some well-wrapped women following. Sorry to disturb you, David. I think perhaps you'd better come down, said Sylvia. People are going. Gay and David stood up, and Gay realized then for the first time that she had had her fingers gripped tightly on David's arm, and for some obscure reason felt a little self-conscious about it. They all went downstairs, and there were no more confidences that night. To Gay, who was tired out with felicity, the rest was all a blur. She managed to hang up the lace gown carefully, but left her outer clothing and her slippers where they fell, and tumbled into bed with her massed hair untouched, nearer sleep already than waking. And the next day was confusing, too. Even the girls looked weary, and the packing went on between yawning and laughing reminiscences, and congratulations upon what had really been a great success. Outside were a low, unfriendly sky and a strong wind across the snow. The sea was rough and wild. Bare branches bent and whipped noisily about in the garden, and windows rattled. 
the house seemed big and blank this morning with fallen leaves and oddly disposed furniture standing in the forlornly empty rooms that had looked so bright and gay last night john was in the house with dry sacking bagged over his boots as he moved palms about but there was a roaring fire in the air-tight stove in the dining-room and another in the downstairs sitting-room and the young persons waiting for the sleigh to take them to their train gathered there david kept rather close to gay in an unobtrusive big brotherly manner during the good-byes and once he nodded to her and said briefly all fixed don't worry but if sylvia saw these cryptic indications she had no explanation of them until the following day she did note she remembered afterward that frank duspain's farewells to them all and especially to david and gay were rather odd not quite pugnacious not quite defiant but with an odd touch of some such quality david enlightened her on the next afternoon when the family was alone again this was christmas day and they had all gone in the sleigh to crochester to church in the morning and although wastewater had hardly even now recovered from its unwonted festivities there had been the usual great turkey icy red cranberry jelly crackling celery and bubbling mince pies that indicated a fresh celebration this meal served in the warm dining-room at half-past two after the cold drive and wait had reduced all the family to a state bordering on comfortable coma sylvia sleepily declaring that she meant to take a brisk walk collapsed into an armchair before the fire immediately after the mid-afternoon dinner david determining from moment to moment to go upstairs and get into tramping clothes took a chair on the other side flora went up to her room where she indulged in the unheard-of relaxations of her wrapper and a nap on the top of her stiff cold bed with a comforter over her and gay whose skin felt prickly and whose head heavy and who had enjoyed the mince pies and the chestnut dressing and the walnuts only too well wrapped herself up warmly left a message with maria and slipped quietly out of the side door john was going into keyport at five to take margaret home after the last of the christmas dinner had been discussed in the kitchen gabriella would walk the three miles in the roaring wind and he would bring her home the gale tore at her gaily whistled in her ears stung her flushed face into chilly bloom again rushes of spray blew across the dune road and the sea boiled and tumbled beside her gulls were blown overhead balanced yet tipped sideways in the wild airs the wind sang above her other pedestrians similarly affected by christmas cheer were walking bundled and blown and bent forward along the roads and these and gay exchanged joyous shouts of merry christmas it was good it was good the girl exulted to be out on such a day meanwhile sylvia and david left alone by the sitting-room fire with only the occasional dropping of a coal or the onslaught of wind against the shutters to interrupt them could have the first real talk they had had since their arrival at wastewater david stretched luxuriously in his chair was free to study her as she sat erect and beautiful in the pleasant mingling of gray afternoon light and warm firelight 
he had always had a definite feeling of admiration loyalty affection for and confidence in sylvia and he felt it still but for the first time in this past week she had seemed oddly to take her place down on the comfortable level of other human beings she no longer seemed as she so long had seemed a creature unique and apart a little more beautiful more fortunate more clever than the rest her mother and he had watched her grow up a bright little conscientious girl with dark braids a splendid twenty-five-year-old fifteen-year-old meeting all the problems and the increasing responsibilities of life so willingly so conscientiously prettier every year more responsive and satisfactory every year and then presently she had been recognized as uncle roger's heiress and she was to own wastewater one of these days and the very substantial properties that went with wastewater david had initiated her responsive and serious into the secrets of her first allowance her checkbook her accounts did she know that she would be rich some day she had answered in victoria's grave little phrase i had not known i was so near the throne and since that time now several years ago david had more than once thought that the proud beautiful young creature had really felt herself in a certain sense a queen had really been a queen in her own little circle quite without realizing it he had always seen a little halo a little aura about sylvia always until now david had always told himself that he dare not ask sylvia to be his wife although she was the woman he knew best and admired most in the world it was an old habit of his to think of her as the person he would have wished to marry had it been possible to unite her youth and beauty and wealth to the small income the uncertain profession and the ten-year seniority of a man who was to her a sort of older brother but he knew to-day that he would ask her she had oddly seemed to come into his zone during this holiday week it was not that she was less beautiful less rich less admirable but she was different or he was she was just an extremely charming and fortunate girl of twenty who might love him as well as perhaps better than any other man she was splendidly high-principled and intelligent but even these qualities at self-confident twenty were not the surest guides in the world oddly and unexpectedly enough he had once or twice experienced just lately a little queer pang of something like pity for sylvia she impressed him as someone who had little to learn but much to experience gay on the other hand was engagingly diffident and teachable she had a well-balanced little head she had excellent judgment she played the piano nicely spoke french perfectly the montallan girls had said and danced even better than she knew but one felt that there were no falls ahead of gay no humiliating descents from any heights simply because she never scaled any heights david was not analytical enough to know that it was the sisterly little gay who had quite innocently and unconsciously shifted his attitude toward sylvia gay had told him of a delightful book that sylvia called pretty thin gay had said fervently oh thank you david you've saved me 
when he had done her a small service yesterday. Gay had quoted him, followed him with her eyes, consulted him, paid him a score of compliments in her charming little girl way, and Gay was an exceptionally lovely young woman. Whatever her antecedents, she was delightful, eager, receptive, unaffected, and like a nice child, with her willing, flying feet, her big eyes, her softly tumbled tawny hair, and her husky, Protestant, velvety little voice. Today, while he was idly thinking of what life would be when Sylvia had taken possession of her inheritance, and had had her year or two of independence, and then had agreed to be his wife, Sylvia suddenly spoke of Gay. Have you any idea of what she wants to do with herself, David? Gay? Sylvia nodded. Mama seems to feel nothing definite about it, and I couldn't get anything out of her. She said something vague about being an actress. I suppose she's at that age. And Sylvia smiled good-naturedly as she looked into the fire. She's not happy here? David asked slowly. Yes, in a way I think she is. She's young, of course, to try her wings, and Mama says she is really very conscientious about her practicing and languages. But, of course, this isn't the place for her. Isn't? David asked, looking up. No. In the first place, it's too dull. In the second... Why, there are some nice kids over at Crowchester, David suggested, and she seems happy here. Then you'll be home at midsummer. Yes, I know, David, Sylvia said, with a sudden color in her face. But at the same time, I don't feel that just idling here is quite the right solution for Gay. And I think it my duty, in a way, to think out for her what is the right solution, added Sylvia with a smile. She's handsome. She has her mother's most unfortunate experience back of her. And if she should marry even six or eight years from now, it would surely be better to launch her first into some interesting and absorbing line of work. She may marry before that, David said, with a significant half-smile. She had her first offer, it appears, on the night of the dance, and she was quite upset about it. Her first offer? Sylvia echoed in stupefaction. One of the Crowchester boys? No, I don't think she knows any of them well. Aunt Flora doesn't encourage any neighborliness exactly. No, it was young Despain, David said. Frank Despain? It would appear that it was love at first sight with him. Sylvia stared a moment, hot color in her face. I don't believe it, she said finally. Oh, it was honest and above board enough. That was the very point of her speaking to me as she did, David assured her, half amused and half serious. It seems he spoke to her at the dance. He must be twenty, Sylvia broke in impatiently. Twenty-four, he says. I don't imagine, David said leniently, that he had any immediate hopes or indeed plans. But he assured her that he was free, and that his father was only too anxious to have him settle down. He said that his mother would ask her to visit them, at Lake Forest, I believe, this summer. He wanted a promise of some sort. He was in an absolute fever of excitement and eagerness when he left. Almost wrenched my hand off. David, you didn't. But it's all too absurd. 
you didn't encourage them in this sort of nonsense them my dear sylvia you couldn't have disposed of an unwelcome suitor more calmly yourself than gay did said david she told him it appears that she was very much honored and she really liked him but he please wasn't to say anything more about it for months until after midsummer in short she only told me because he insisted that somebody anybody be informed that he never would change and was in earnest and all that and he wants to correspond and she felt that she ought to speak to aunt flora about that one wonders why she didn't speak to mamma in the first place sylvia said slowly remembering the farewells and perhaps unreasonably resenting little gay's secret and gay's handling of it she seems to want to dismiss the whole thing david explained i only mention it as a suggestion that she may solve her own problems in her own way one of these days and you really think she ought to live along here calmly doing nothing and dependent upon other people sylvia asked with an anxious and appealing little frown who gay said flora fleming who had come downstairs and was now being settled by david in her usual chair but there is no talk about her going away is there she asked blinking through her glasses from one face to another not immediately mamma dear sylvia answered with just a faint hint of impatience in her voice that amused david with the realization that he had never before seen sylvia so human and incidentally so approachable but i suppose she will not stay here always that wouldn't be fair to her or to you oh but what would you have her do sylvia demanded her mother in alarm nothing definite and don't you two dear good people talk as if i were an ogre sylvia said with a laugh what i had vaguely in mind was some nice place there are hundreds near the college where she could have some young life and at the same time by courses or special instruction befitting herself for her life work whatever it's to be that was my entire idea i assure you david took refuge in his usual thoughtful study of the fire aunt flora flung her yarn free with nervous fingers winter twilight was turning the window panes opaque and the room was warm and close you mean that we should make her an allowance sylvia her mother asked well until she's on her own feet of course pay her board see that she has the right clothes and pocket money but the quickest way to be sure that she will take life seriously sylvia said is not to make it too easy for her but would you want her really to to work sylvia demanded her mother as david staring into the embers with his locked hands dropped between his knees was still silent well but mamma wouldn't you sylvia countered with her antecedents perhaps inheriting that unfortunate nature of poor aunt lily's you never saw aunt lily david was upon the point of saying good-naturedly but although sylvia had indeed been only three or four years old when frail melancholy aunt lily had made the final appearance into a sanitarium that ended much later with her death he realized that aunt flora had talked frequently about her and held his peace inheriting that unhappy nature from aunt lily pursued sylvia and inheriting goodness knows what from that casual father of hers who might i suppose turn up here any day and make trouble for all of us 
it does seem to me wisest to lay the basis of a normal useful life of her her father's dead flora interrupted with a sort of pain in her voice as sylvia paused you don't know that mamma no but if he isn't david said he's dead to us he has built up a new life somewhere that he is only too anxious to keep from our knowledge if he had been in trouble he would have appeared fast enough still sylvia said flora trembling i should wish and i know david would that gay should have some sort of allowance made for her always i know your uncle i know roger would want her not to have to worry about money say a hundred and fifty a month or two hundred do you mean just paid out of the estate sylvia demanded in honest astonishment and with a natural little resentment that her plans for gay should be so outdistanced by the other's ideas but david don't you think that would be too ridiculous she asked anxiously turning toward him after a surprised study of her mother's flushed face i think we can arrange it very nicely somehow david said soothingly no need to go into it now for she will certainly stay here with aunt flora until you come home at midsummer and in the meantime she may either form her own plans or perhaps he added more lightly perhaps another frank to spain will come on the scene with better success flora diverted asked him his meaning and sylvia thought she took a surprising amount of interest in the immature affair young duspain had told her he would inherit something flora said and he seemed a nice cheerful young fellow it seemed a great pity that they were not older that something definite might not come of it even now flora argued knitting fast if he really got a position through his father gay will have something i would certainly not let her go to him entirely empty-handed she went on half aloud as if reasoning with herself david remembered suddenly that after all he and she were administrators of the estate until mid-june they would solve gay's problem somehow before that he hardly imagined sylvia afterward disputing or changing any arrangement that they made about gay perhaps sylvia remembered this too and decided that her only policy was a waiting one until her full inheritance and liberty should be put into her hands she fell into kindly desultory talk about gay how pretty the girl had grown and how nicely mannered she was but when flora who seemed nervous and disturbed presently got up and went out of the room sylvia said to david what i really have in the back of my head is that mamma and i shall have a long holiday in europe next winter i've never been and it would be wonderful to see england in the fall and paris with all the chestnuts turning red and then settle down somewhere for two or three months perhaps on the riviera it would do her a world of good and she seems upset of late i think gay's being here sylvia added thoughtfully looking straight up into david's eyes now as they stood together before the hearth has roused old sad memories and i feel that i well i owe mamma this holiday after these years when i've seen so little of her i'll get all my new responsibilities here straightened out as soon as i can graduate 
perhaps get papers and furnace men working here under hedda and trudy before we go and then have a real vacation before we come back she finished smiling to be the flemings of wastewater for the next forty or fifty years and of course there's one more responsibility i hope you'll decide to assume sylvia david said significantly quite unexpectedly to himself but with his pleasant even voice and smile unchanged she understood him instantly and flushed rosily perhaps i will she answered bravely be thinking it over he pursued sylvia looked down at the pretty foot she had rested on the bright brass and iron fire rods it's rather formidable she said appealingly looking up all the business the insurance and taxes and signatures and my graduation and wastewater and the servants coming to me i feel feel a little bit overwhelmed of course you do david conceded sympathetically but i think sylvia said now with one hand on his shoulder and her dark eyes raised seriously to his i think i've always had you in mind david is that a very unwomanly thing to say give me a little time to get my bearings all the time you want dear david said tenderly as she paused for answer sylvia raised her flushed and lovely face and he kissed her solemnly then the girl laughed a little excitedly and held him off with both her hands linked in his as she said there then it's an understanding it's just what you wish sylvia then that's what i wish sylvia answered gaily now let's get our coats on and race once or twice about the garden before it's quite dusk otherwise we shan't be able to eat any of that cold turkey and peach preserved dinner that mamma's probably fussing about now but it was quite dark in the garden and bitterly cold and windy and they had made only one turn when john rattled up to the side door with a little car from which gay descended weary blown but in high spirits hungry comfortably weary glad to be at home again david thought their all coming into the house together very homelike and pleasant the company was gone but the family was gathered to discuss the remains of the big turkey and the memories of the house party he thought it would be charming to have this old house home for them all always gay was all the more attractive after all because of the clouds and mists that hung over her birth and parentage and sylvia would quickly get her bearings she was too sane and fine to be upset long even by her new importance then the two girls one so dark and the other so oddly fair would always be great friends and even with uncle roger gone and poor old tom gone and so many other voices and faces gone forever wastewater would be a home for new toms and rogers and again hospitable and imposing landmark in the countryside so musing david thought with deep satisfaction of the future only a few weeks before he had felt it would be an injustice to speak to sylvia sylvia the beauty the heiress barely of age but sylvia had been brought into his own zone in some strange manner during these christmas holidays for the first time in her life david had seen her as perhaps needing affectionate guidance sympathetic advice 
as indeed the young girl she really was, for all her superiorities. College was all very well, thought David, for the nice, ordinary sort of girl like Gwen or Laura Montalan. It helped them to form character, a sense of balance and proportion, to make them into real women. But Sylvia was different. She had been born balanced and conscientious and intelligent and industrious. She needed softening now, and the interruption of her own serene and unquestioned will. There was beginning to be just a hint of the pendant, just a suggestion of the rut about her. It was sweet to him to think that with his love for her, his knowledge of her affairs, his happy familiarity here at Wastewater, he might actually give to a marriage with Sylvia more than any other man was apt to give. That confident, straightforward decisiveness of hers was exactly what led so many fine women into ridiculous marriages. He could imagine Sylvia seriously telling him that she was about to marry some engaging, penniless idler. He's a count, you know, David, one of the finest families in Europe. Or perhaps she would not marry at all. She had said laughingly of some young admirer months ago, possibly he heard of Uncle Roger's money, David. That wouldn't do either. Sylvia, pretty and spectacled, and entertaining other nice unmarried college women here twenty years from now was a dreadful thought. For the world's opinion of the proverbial guardian wedding with the heiress David cared nothing at all. He was largely indifferent to money. The little that he had sufficed him comfortably. His chief expenses were for canvases and oils, and wastewater and keyport supplied him with subjects the year round. Less than a dozen close friends, a city club, an occasional dress rehearsal or first night, and a seat alone five times a season at the opera were enough for David, and for the rest he liked his comfortable old painting clothes, the panorama of the season steadily moving onward, and always, behind and through and above the leisurely tenor of his ways, wastewater. He roused from his reverie after supper to see Gay smiling at him from the opposite chair. "'What are you thinking about, David? You look so serious.' "'I was thinking very happy things about the future,' David answered, exchanging just the fleeting shadow of a half-smile with Sylvia. Look, Sylvia, I see a likeness to Uncle Roger and Gay now, he added interestedly. It's stronger in this picture than in the one downstairs. They all three looked up at the large portrait of Roger Fleming that was above the mantel in Flora's upstairs sitting room. Gay was just below it, and she twisted her tawny head to look upward, too. I don't see it, Sylvia said narrowing her eyes to scrutinize the painted face and the living one. But, yes, I do. The mouths are exactly alike, she added animatedly. David, is mine like that? Flora was not in the room. They all glanced with instinctive caution at the door now, as it rattled in a rising wind, perfectly aware that to her nervous self-consciousness, where all family discussions were concerned, even this much would be unwelcome. But nobody came in, and Gay ended the debate about likenesses by reminding them cheerfully, Turn, Fleming, spin again. The cross that lines the Kenterskine. End of chapter 8
Chapter Nine of the Black Flemings by Kathleen Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine. The next morning, David was surprised and a little touched to have his aunt come up to him in the shadowy upper hall and embrace him warmly. It was a long time since he had had such a kiss from Aunt Flora. Sylvia has just hinted it to me. I'm so glad, my dear boy," said Flora. She doesn't want anything said of it. I understand. She wants it just as if nothing had happened. Until June, I understand. But I must let you know that I am so delighted, David. And pressing his hands with a display of emotion very rare in her, she hurried on. But for this, David might almost believe that he had dreamed that little conversation with Sylvia in the firelight last night. Sylvia really showed less feeling than her mother. Aunt Flora was quite visibly beaming over the thought. Yet Sylvia did show some. She was demure and sweet with David, and on New Year's Eve they had a few moments grave conversation about the future. Perhaps there'll be a young Mrs. Fleming here next year, Sylvia. Oh, not quite so soon, I think. Promise me, promise me you won't hurry matters. But some day and she let her smooth, warm hand rest in his until they were interrupted by her mother's entrance into the room. Sylvia went back to college early on the day after New Year's Day, and David took her into Boston, promising his aunt, however, that he would return to Wastewater that night. And late in the afternoon, before Sylvia went, she found an opportunity to give Gay a hint of the state of affairs. The two girls had managed to establish a real friendliness and were merry and confidential and full of chatter together. Now Gay had asked curiously, as in an ice-cold bedroom she watched Sylvia packing her things. Sylvia, do you hate to go back? Well, yes and no, Sylvia said thoughtfully. In a way, I wish June would hurry, and in another way, I want to get every scrap of sweetness out of my last college days. I shall be tremendously busy when I get home, of course, for weeks and weeks, and then it's possible, I won't say definitely, but it's possible that Mama and I may go abroad for a few months, after that. I feel as if, in a way, I owed Mama a holiday. Gay's face was radiant with sympathy. Oh, you will love it, she said enthusiastically, as she wrapped the big comforter tightly about her and curled her feet up in the big armchair. Sylvia, shuddering, blew upon her own fingers as she gave a last look about the room. There, everything's in, she said. Do let's get downstairs and have some tea as a celebration. And to herself, Sylvia added, I wonder if she realizes that I don't plan to take her with us. But Gay was thinking, she can't care for David, or she wouldn't be making plans to go away. And in the queer, indefinable happiness that came with this conviction, she could well afford to be indifferent to her own plans for the summer. When they were downstairs again, and shuddering with cold, as the heavenly warmth of the sitting-room enveloped them, Sylvia said, I should love to give Mama a really happy time, because next winter there may be changes. Gay, kneeling by the hearth and hammering a great smoking lump of coal with a poker, felt salt in her mouth, and her heart sank like a leaden weight. Sylvia's serious yet happy tone was unmistakable. The younger girl did not turn. "'You mean, you and David,' she said thickly, 
putting one arm across her eyes if the smoke had blinded her. "'I think so,' Sylvia answered, smiling quietly and mysteriously. Gay took her chair. "'I always thought so,' she said bravely. "'Has it been settled long?' "'It isn't settled now,' Sylvia responded, in a little tone of merry warning and alarm. "'But I have promised.' and her smile was that of the consciously beloved and courted woman. I have promised to think about it. When David came down with the suitcases a few minutes later, Sylvia was alone. Gay did not come in until just before dinner, and then she seemed quiet and grave. David suspected that Sylvia's departure and the ending of the happy holidays were depressing her, but two or three times, Catching her serious glance fixed upon himself during the evening, he was puzzled by something more serious than this, something almost reproachful, almost accusing. However, he forgot it in the confusion of the early start the next morning, and when he returned to Wastewater late that evening, Gay seemed quite herself. David stayed on comfortably from day to day, and the three settled into a pleasant, if monotonous and quiet life. Gay worked busily at her music and with her books all morning, and now and then had the additional interest of a postcard from one of the Montalans, or one of Frank du Spain's singularly undeveloped and youthful letters to answer. David was painting a study of the old sheds and fences on the western side of the house, buried in a heavy snow, with snow-laden trees bowed about them, and as a fresh blizzard came along early in the year and the first study was extremely successful, he delayed to make a second. In the cold afternoons he and Gay usually went for long walks, talking hard all the way, and David found it as often astonishingly stimulating to get her views of men and affairs and books as it was pleasant to guide or influence her. Sometimes, bundled to the ears, she would rush out to the old cow-yard to stand behind him as he painted, and what she said of his work, he thought, was always worth hearing. He was to have an exhibition in New York for a week in the early spring, and it was at Gay's suggestion that he did some small watercolors for it. There, she said, now those things that you call notes, those are perfectly delightful. And many a person who couldn't, or wouldn't, spend several hundred dollars for a picture would love one of those. "'Lots of fellows either throw them out as rubbish or give them away,' David protested. "'Yes, but yours are so lovely, David. I can't think that most men would make such nice ones.' "'This little one. I'll tell you what it's like,' said Gay, with a brightening face. "'It's like a little Diziani in the Louvre.' These little touches of familiarity with the field so infinitely interesting to him were delightful to David. He would spend whole winter afternoons going over his European catalogues with her and identifying picture after picture. Gay made him mark the notes at a hundred dollars each. Catalog them separately under notes, she suggested one morning, and then let's give each one of them a name. And following some line of thought, she presently added dreamily, David, does the money part matter so tremendously to you? Does... "'God bless the child,' answered David, with a glance toward the sketches he was sorting in the big upstairs room in which he worked at Wastewater. "'Of course it does.' 
gay who had been making some little sketches herself on a large bare block with a very sharp pencil laughed at his tone outside a january rain was sleeting roughly against the windows the casements rattled a small oil stove was burning in the cool gray daylight of the room the air was faintly scented with the odor of kerosene and hot metal why what would you do if you had more money gay asked oh lord david began well i'd take a studio near rucker's he began at least i might and probably about once every three years i'd go across and study in europe i'd buy one of neil boone's pictures tomorrow went on david warming suddenly and i'd buy one every three months to keep the poor fellow from committing suicide before people begin to find out what a marvel he is is he so clever david oh david said briefly almost impatiently the uses of adversity are sweet gay he added working busily with an eraser on a smudged pencil sketch but boone has had a little too much of a good thing he idolized his wife and she died and i think he feels that it might have been different if she had less want and care he's mad about his kid and a well-to-do sister has him in washington boone can't afford to keep him i must say that you don't seem to want money so much for yourself said gay laughing you might get a studio and you might go abroad i'll tell you what i think finished gay you'd like money principally because when a man's pictures sell it's proof that he's succeeding in his profession well i shouldn't wonder if you're right gay david said surprised at the shrewdness of the analysis because if you and sylvia the girl was beginning animatedly she stopped her face was crimson perhaps i wasn't supposed to know that she stammered smiling not much to know david said also a little red it's it's indefinite until sylvia chooses to have it definite he added and then with what was suddenly a rough almost angry manner for david he went on but what were you going to say gay did you mean that if sylvia and i were married i would be rich nothing quite so crude david she answered readily with an apologetic smile i was contrasting the pleasure you would get from a well from a really sensational success with your exhibition gay went on feeling for words to the pleasure any amount of money just put into your hand would give you you and sylvia can do anything you like i suppose but i know it won't make you feel like working any less it was said with her innocent sisterly smile and with her usual unspoiled earnest interest but david felt oddly uncomfortable whenever he thought of it throughout the day a dozen times he wondered exactly what the situation would be if sylvia were in well in gay's position looking to her husband for everything he could not be more fond of her he was glad to think indeed david thought sylvia's character would probably come out in far finer colors under these circumstances than it was apt to do as it was to receive all that sylvia was to receive upon coming of age to be so clever so beautiful and so admired was sure to prove more or less upsetting as for the rest he wished heartily that it had been his good fortune to fall in love with a woman who had not a penny not that sylvia would be anything but charming in her attitude to his income and her own 
she would glide over any conceivable awkwardness with her own native finesse she would ask he knew exactly how prettily david should i buy a new fur coat do you think david would another maid be an awful extravagance there would never be a word or a hint to remind him that after all the safety deposit box the checkbooks and indeed the very roof over their heads were hers it was not that that he feared but he did fear her quite natural opinion that money was extremely important it was important to her it was important to almost everyone but it was not important to david if their friends would think him fortunate in winning so clever and beautiful and charming a wife well and good but he knew that they would go on to consideration of her wealth if indeed many of them did not actually commence there pretty comfortable for him she has scads of money the world would say and sylvia unfortunately could hardly help having her own convictions upon that score too of course dear old david would love to be rich sylvia would think here he had been struggling along on a few thousands a year making no complaints happy in his work traveling with a keenly anxious eye on his checkbook spending nothing on clothes giving one odd and curious little presents that yet were so pitifully inexpensive anxious about those exhibitions of canvases that as yet did not sell very fast what could be more delightful than sudden riches to david to buy him a big car a big fur coat to entertain their friends at the finest hotels to travel to pick up odd books and canvases to have smart luggage a beautiful home who wouldn't like such a change well david knew himself that he would not he realized perfectly that one of the difficulties of his early married life would be to persuade his rich young wife that he really preferred his old corduroys to paint in that he really liked little restaurants that he hated big hotels far happier for him if gay for example had been the heiress then he and sylvia would have been the poor relations would have had the tramping the little studio in keyport the frugal trips abroad so full of adventures and excitements and always the beloved old family homestead to turn to for holidays and special occasions that would be a realer sort of living than he was apt to experience with all sylvia's charming responsibilities and exaction upon his shoulders there would be a distinct loss of something free and personal something far higher and purer and more wonderful than even old uncle roger's money in david's marriage and he knew now that he could never expect sylvia to see that loss to sylvia any one who could be rich and who saw even the tiniest scrap of advantage anywhere in remaining poor was stupid to the point of annoyance well it would all work out somehow david thought philosophically thinking these things seriously upon a certain bitter night late in january a heavy storm was brewing again for the winter was unusually severe but he had resolved to turn his back upon it he must get down into the city and arrange matters for the april exhibition he would leave wastewater the next day after almost six weeks in which the days had seemed to fly by it was almost midnight now gay who had seemed out of spirits to-night had gone upstairs early 
and Aunt Flora had followed her an hour ago. But David sat on by the fire, not so much reading the book he held in his hand as musing, and occasionally leaning forward to stir the last of the coals. The passage to bed was a long and chilly one. The halls were cold. His room would be cold. He felt a deep, lazy disinclination to stir. Suddenly and hideously in the darkness and night he heard a wild scream, followed by other screams, all piercing, high, the shrieks of a woman in mortal terror. David, with a quick exclamation, started to his feet, ran to the door, opened it and shouted into the darkness of the hall, snatched the lamp from the center table, and always shouting, ran up toward the evident source of the confusion which was in the direction of his room and gaze on the floor above. It had all taken place so quickly, and was so unspeakably horrifying and alarming, that David had no time to think of his own emotions, until he reached the upper hall and rushed into Gay's room. He set the light on a table, and caught the girl, who was blundering blindly about the doorway, in his arms. "'Gay, for God's sake, what is it?' he said, drawing her into the hall holding her tight, and looking beyond her into the dimness of the room. "'Oh, David, David,' she sobbed, clinging to him. "'Oh, David, it's that old woman again. She's in my room. I saw her. She had a candle in her hand. I tell you I saw her.' "'You had a dream, dear,' David said tenderly. "'She must have had a bad dream,' David explained to Flora, who came upstairs carrying a candle with a ghastly face and to Hedda and Trudy, who appeared from another direction, frightened and pale. "'Oh, no, 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 I didn't dream it,' Gabriella said, still gasping and clinging tight to David, but in a somewhat quieter tone. "'No, I didn't dream it. She—I just put out the light, and she came into my room.' "'Now, don't get excited, dear,' David interrupted the rising tone reassuringly. "'We're all here, and she can't hurt you. "'What do you think you saw?' "'She came to my door,' Gabriella whispered, "'with a heaving breast and dry throat. "'She was, she was,' her voice rose on a shrill note of terror in spite of herself, "'and she looked into David's eyes with a pathetic childish effort to control herself. "'She was smiling at me,' Gabriella whispered. "'David felt his own flesh creep.' It was Flora's voice that said somewhat harshly, "'Come down to Sylvia's room for the rest of the night, Gabriella.' They were all in the doorway of Gabriella's room. The lamp that David had carried upstairs he had placed just within it, in a sort of alcove. Now he picked up the light and said reassuringly, "'Look here, dear. Nobody's gone out of the hall. We'll all go over to your room and open the wardrobes and look under the bed.' He had gotten so far— turning courageously into the apartment, when he stopped, and Gabriella screamed again. For the light now shone upon the girl's tumbled bed, her desk, her bureau, her bookshelves, and standing close to the latter, with bright mad eyes fixed upon them all, and something of the hunted look of a cornered yet unfrightened animal, was a small, bent old woman, with gray hair straggling out upon the gray shawl she wore over her shoulders, and an extinguished candle in the stick she carried in her hands. David's heart came into his mouth with a shock. 
there was an uncanny and fearful quality about such an apparition in the quiet winter night and in the shadowy old house flora behind him made a sound of despair and hedda and trudy moaned together afterward it seemed to him odd that it was gabriella who spoke the girl was still shaken badly but the lights and the voices had instantly dissipated the horrifying mystery and fear and although gay was pale and spoke with a somewhat dry throat it was steady enough it was even with a pathetic sort of reassurance in her voice and a trembling eagerness to quiet the strange visitor to restore the fantastic unnaturalness of the scene to something like the normal you you frighten me so she said to the little old woman gently touching her on the arm even trying to draw about the shaking little old figure the big slipping gray shawl you she didn't mean any harm david gay said with her breath coming easier every second she i think she's a little a significant lifting of gay's eyebrows finished the sentence margaret knows her aunt flora knows who she is she added appealingly i wanted to see you dear and flora wouldn't let me the old woman said tearfully and childishly catching gay's hands and beginning to mumble kisses over them david made a sudden exclamation it is i've not seen her for twenty years he said with a puzzled look at his aunt about whose shaking form he immediately put a bracing arm isn't it your mother aunt flora is it aunt john i thought she was dead yes just help me take her to her room david flora said feverishly and blindly just take her arm hedda we'll get her all comfortable and then i'll explain i'll explain to you and gabriella you needn't be afraid of this happening again i'll i'll let trudy take her gabriella but she doesn't want to go do you dear gay asked pitifully and david thought her youth and beauty the hanging rope of glorious tawny hair the slim figure outlined in her plain little embroidered nightgown and the kimono she had caught up contrasted to that shaking old creature's feebleness and wildness were the most extraordinary things he had ever seen in his life but then the whole thing was like a crazy dream but she must go flora reiterated firmly her voice shaking and raw her face streaked with green lines across its pallor aunt john david pleaded gently taking an elbow that controlled a thin old yellow hand like a hanging bird's claw for he remembered the days when aunt john had kept house for them all when flora was a brisk young woman and lily only a timid romantic girl when his own mother was mistress of wastewater and poor tom and himself the idolized small boys of the family what are you calling me aunt john for david fleming said the old woman shrilly and suddenly mamma died years and years ago didn't she flora i'm your aunt lily and i came down to see my girl hedda and trudy exclaimed together but david sensed instantly that they were not surprised flora choked caught blindly at the back of a chair and stood staring david in his quick glance saw that her lips were moving but she made no sound then it was at gabriella that they all looked gabriella who stood tall and young and ashen in the uncertain lamplight with her magnificent pathetically widened eyes 
like shadowy gray star sapphires moving first to flora's face and then to david's and then back to the little woman beside her whose hand or claw she still held in her own david saw her breast rise and fall suddenly but there was in her bearing no sign that she was conscious of his presence or that of the maids or flora she bent down toward the forlorn little mowing and mumbling creature looking into the wandering eyes i'm sorry they wouldn't let you see me gay said gently in just the essence of her own beautiful voice to david every syllable seemed to throb and flower like a falling star in the unearthly silence of the room outside a winter wind whined branches creaked the ivy at gay's window crackled as a load of snow slipped from its dry twigs they could hear the distant muffled sound of the cold sea tumbling and booming among the rocks the lamp flared up in a sudden draught burned steadily again great shadows marched and wheeled on the ceiling the two maids stared with dilated eyes flora caught at david with fierce fingers don't don't let her talk she's not responsible david i tell you it's all a mistake no harm done i won't have gabriella worried don't worry about me aunt flora gay's voice said and again it sounded strange to david it had a sad and poignant sweetness that seemed to have more in common with the icy night and the streaming winter moonlight and the cold sea than with this troubled little human group i am glad to know i never would have been afraid of you if i had known gay said to the little bent old woman i won't be frightened again you can you can see me as much as you like if you're lily i'm your little girl you know mother end of chapter nine chapter ten of the black flemings by kathleen norris this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten the night that followed was one of the strange abnormal times that seemed david thought more than once so peculiarly appropriate so peculiarly in tone with the atmosphere of wastewater with the empty dusky decaying rooms with the shadowy mirrors clouded with mold with the memories the tragedies the ghosts and echoes that on a bitter winter night seemed to throng the old place outside there was a sharp frost and when the massed silent snow slipped from the branches of the old elms an occasional crack like a pistol shot sounded through the night a cold bright moon moved over the packed snow and the sea swelled with booming sullen rushes over the rocks clocks seemed to david to stand still to mark strange hours when gabrielle had put her young arm about the shrinking withered form of the harmless old feeble-minded woman that david did now indeed recognize as aunt lily for some reason he had felt his throat thick and his eyes blind with tears the girl was so young she had been so full of hope and gaiety and high spirits during the happy holidays and the weeks that followed she had tramped beside him chattering like a sturdy little sister belted into a big coat her eager feet stamping and dancing on the snow her cheeks glowing with the tingle of the pure cold air they had had some contented rainy mornings together 
in the bare upstairs room he called his studio, and they had sometimes played a sort of double solitaire in the evenings. Gay as anxiously excited as a child and saying, Oh, fudge, when the cards fell wrong, in a little baffled, furious tone that always made him laugh. He and she had thought the weak little mother and the worthless, wandering father long ago vanished from her problem. The child had quite a sufficient problem left as it was. And she had faced it so bravely, faced it cheerfully even with the constant reminder of Sylvia's contrasted good fortune, Sylvia's wealth, Sylvia's impeccable parentage, right before her vision. Now, suddenly, while her heart was thumping with the shock and terror of awakening from sleep to find this dreadful apparition in her room, she had had to accept this same mowing, gibbering, weeping old woman as her mother. And David loved her that she had not hesitated, where for sheer bewilderment he knew he might have hesitated. She had not glanced at Aunt Flora, who was leaning sick and silent against a chair, nor at the cowed and white-faced old Belgian servants, nor at him. Quite simply she had put her arm about poor Aunt Lily, touched her young lips to the yellow old forehead where the forlorn wisps of grayish hair hung down, and then turned, steady-eyed and ashen cheek, but quite composed, to say quietly, Where does she sleep, Aunt Flora? In that room where I saw the light? I'll go up with her. She is shuddering with cold. She'll be ill. I'll—you'll go with me, won't you, Margaret? We'll get her to bed. For Margaret, so pale, in a gray wrapper, and looking anxiously from one to the other, as if to read in their faces what had occurred, had joined the group from some rear doorway. No, that was partly it, Gabriella, Flora forced herself to say with chattering teeth. She hasn't been so bad until lately. And after you met her that day, we moved her into the back of the house. Someone was always supposed to be near her. You shouldn't have gotten out of bed and come through the halls in your bare feet, Lily, Flora mildly reproached her sister. Lily clung stubbornly to Gabriella's arm, but they were all moving slowly in the direction of the rooms Flora had mentioned now, through the bitter darkness of the halls. The lamp carried by David sent their shadows wheeling about angles and corners ahead of them. Doors banged, shutters creaked, and when Lily's chattering whisper of complacency and exalting triumph was silent, they could hear Hedda and Trudy telling Margaret that the sick lady had wandered into Miss Gabriella's rooms in the night and frightened her. Lily was really almost sick by the time they reached the homely, comfortable rooms, which Gabriella noted were well furnished and warmed by a still-glowing stove. David built up the fire while they put the poor little chattering creature to bed, and Gabriella, without seeming to be even now conscious of anybody's presence but that of her mother, caught up an old ivory-backed brush and massed the strained gray hair into order, pinning it, David noted pitifully, with the pins that had held back from her face her own thick, rich braids. There was a tenderness, an absorbed, gentle, and childish pity about her whole attitude, the while she did so that made his throat thicken again. Meanwhile, Margaret and Hedda, evidently used to this ministry and moving about the room with an air of being entirely at home there, had supplied Lily with hot water bottles and some sort of milky hot drink, which Lily fretfully complained was bitter. 
it has her sleeping stuff in it margaret explained in an aside lily smiled knowingly at gabriella they wouldn't mind poisoning me a bit dearie she said in a loud whisper at crosswicks they used always be trying to poison us however she took the drink when gabriella held the glass in short sips meanwhile patting the girl's hand beaming and occasionally with increasing drowsiness recalling old memories gabriella had a little gray coat and a hat with gray fur on it beaver it was real beaver it looked so good with her golden curls she said once complacently roger said she looked like a squirrel where's roger flora why don't he come up some night so we could all play euchre like we used to and at another time some moments later she added in a sweet and natural voice i was looking all over the place for tom he gets my nasturtium seeds and eats them but i don't know where all this snow's come from it was real sunny yesterday when i put them out and roger and will were in swimming all this time flora had sat in an armchair by the stove with one hard veiny hand tight over her eyes margaret lessened the lights lily began to sink into sleep and gabriella sat timidly down near her still holding her hand the servant slipped away but still flora did not stir when lily was so soundly off that their voices did not disturb her david touched gabriella's arm and stiff and looking a little bewildered she rose noiselessly to her feet flora started up pale and with a bitten under lip and a look of some deep fright in her eyes and they quietly left the room david carrying the lamp as before and now he said cheerfully when they were back in the hall outside of gabriella's room there's no good worrying ourselves about all this tonight you look exhausted aunt flora and gay here has had enough jump into bed gay it's after two and get off to sleep i'll leave my door open and you leave yours or if you like i'll wheel this couch up against your door and sleep on it myself no david thank you i'm not afraid now the girl said quietly and seriously and david knew that there were more than vague unnamed terrors to occupy her thoughts now i'll do splendidly and tomorrow we'll talk i only hope she added slowly my mother will not be ill although and there was an infinite sadness in her voice perhaps i shouldn't even hope for that for her good night aunt flora and with a sudden impulse that seemed to david infinitely fine and sweet she stooped and kissed her aunt's cheek before she turned to her own door she would not think tonight the girl told herself restlessly but there was nothing for it but thought she was bitterly cold and shuddered as she snuggled into the covers and stared out with persistently wakeful eyes at the blackness of the big room gay heard creaks crackling the lisp of falling blots of snow the detonations of contracting furniture in distant closed rooms the reports of breaking branches outside and always there was the cold regular pulse of the sea the girl looked at her watch twenty minutes of three and she seemed to have been tossing here for hours her brain seethed faces voices came and went problems for the future 
speculations as to the past. She was deathly cold. She wondered if there were any fuel at her cold fireplace, lighted the candle, and investigated. None. Well, these windows at least can be closed, Gay decided, with chattering teeth. The night struck through her thin nightgown like a wall of ice as she struggled with the heavy blinds. Gabriella experienced a weary and desperate sensation of discouragement. The horrible night would never end. Her thoughts would never straighten themselves out into peace and quiet again. There would never be sunlight, warmth, safety in the world. Looking down, however, toward the kitchen wing, she saw that a heartening red light was striking through the shutters, and immediately she caught up her wrapper and went slippered and shuddering down the long stairs and passages that led to the kitchen. She opened the door upon heartening lamplight and firelight. Margaret, Trudy, and Hedda were in comfortable talk beside the stove, and a boiling coffee pot sent a delicious fragrance into the dark old room. Margaret, Gay began, piteously, with a suddenly childish feeling of tears in her voice. I can't sleep. I've been lying awake. And immediately she was on her knees beside Margaret, and had her bright head buried in the old servant's lap, and Margaret's hand was stroking her hair. Gay, after the first tears, did not cry. But as the blessed heat and light seemed to penetrate to the center of her chilled being, and as the old servant's hands gently stroked her hair, she felt as if she could kneel here forever, not facing anything, not thinking, just warm again and among human voices once more. Margaret's words, if they were words, were indistinguishable. Neither Hedda nor Trudy spoke at all. The Belgian women looked on with their faded old eyes red with sympathy. Trudy put a smoking cup of coffee, mixed in the French fashion, as Gay liked it on the table, and Hedda turned a fresh piece of gram toast on the range, and Margaret coaxed the girl to dispose of the hot drink before there was any talk. Afterward, when Gay had dried her eyes upon a towel brought by the sympathetic Hedda, and rolled herself tight in her wrapper, and had her feet comfortably extended toward the range, Margaret said, you mustn't feel angry at us, Miss Gabriella. It was to spare you, I'm sure, that Miss Flora has kept this secret all these years. I am not angry, Gabriella began, and stopped abruptly, biting her lip, and turned her eyes, brimming again, toward the glow of the range. I know, it seems awful hard, but this has always been a bitter thing to Miss Flora, and she has taken her own way about it, Margaret said, kindly, and there was silence again. You know your mamma, the old woman began again presently, and Gay's eyes, startled, fixed themselves for a moment upon Margaret's face, as if the girl found the term strange. Your mamma made a silly marriage, dear, Margaret went on, and Miss Flora felt very badly about it. Your mother was such a pretty, gentle girl, too, she added. I'd see her gathering flowers, or maybe hear her singing at the piano when I'd come up here to waste water to help them out with sickness or company, or whatever it was. Very pretty, Miss Lily was. There was quite a family, then. Miss Flora had married Mr. Will Fleming, and Sylvia was just a little thing as dark as a gypsy. 
and of course that was just the time that poor mr rogers wife was dying of some miserable growth she'd had for years and it was when tom ran away mrs roger fleming had a big couch on the porch in the summer and she'd be lying there and perhaps mr roger reading to her or talking about some cure they were forever trying new cures and new doctors and miss flora would have sylvia out there with her big rag doll sylvia's father was never much of a success they used to say he was usually away somewhere getting a new job of some sort margaret added reminiscently somehow i never think of aunt flora as having a husband gay said in a sombre tear-thickened voice her being sylvia's mother and all that seems natural enough but to think of her as mrs will fleming always is so queer i don't know that she ever loved mr will margaret said with a glance behind her at hedda who was straightening the kitchen as composedly and indifferently as if the hour had been four o'clock in the afternoon instead of the morning hedda was paying no attention and margaret went on with all an old servant's significance it was well known that miss flora loved roger fleming all her life and she was engaged to him after his first wife that was david's and tom's mother died yes i know gabriella said with a long sigh she had heard all this before when roger fleming married the second time she took his brother will margaret resumed and for a while they had a little apartment in boston and he was in a bank there but he died when miss sylvia was only three and miss flora was here more than she ever was there anyway miss lily stayed here all the time and then that terrible summer when little tom ran away if miss lily didn't fall in love with a man nobody knew anything about there was an old-fashioned little peasant bench beside the stove brought from across the seas when hedda and trudy had come to america twenty-five years before and gabriella was on this low seat now with her arms across margaret's knees she looked up into margaret's face wistfully as she said but there was nothing against my father wasn't he just a young man who was staying in crochester for a while he had some sort of agency margaret said no dear for all we ever knew he was a good enough man but he was no husband for miss lily who was roger fleming's cousin and had lived here at wastewater all her life and more than that she married him secretly and that's always a bad thing the old woman added impressively yes i know gabriella murmured with impatience and pain in her voice but i don't see anything so terrible in it she finished looking back at the fire again and half to herself well it was such a bad time when they were all so upset margaret argued miss flora felt something terrible she added simply when she knew that miss lily her sister that she'd always guarded and loved so dearly was secretly married and going to have a baby i don't know that she told mrs roger fleming who was so little and so delicate anything about it but i know she talked it over with mr roger for he came to me so kindly he was a wonderful man for being kind-hearted and told me that miss lily was going into boston to live in miss flora's little apartment for a while while they tried to find this man charpentier that was my father gay interpolated 
that was your father dear i went to boston with your mother and got her nicely settled margaret resumed she was very quiet then and pleased with the little thing she was making for the baby but it was only a few months later when mr roger was off hunting little tom and mrs roger dying with this doctor or that quack or dear knows what always in the house here that poor miss lily got typhoid fever before i was born gay had heard of the typhoid fever but had never quite placed it in the succession of events before just after you were born poor miss flora was pulled every which way said margaret she'd rush into boston to see miss lily and she'd rush back here afraid mrs roger had died while she was gone she didn't dare risk the infection for miss sylvia and so she sent for me and i took miss sylvia into the rooms where poor miss lily is now and miss sylvia hardly saw her mother for weeks miss flora went up to see her sister that was your mother every week and while she did that she'd never risk infection for little sylvia well then poor little mrs roger died very sudden at the end miss lily was convalescent then but weak as a rag and she and you came down here to wastewater and you were the most beautiful child i ever laid my eyes on margaret broke off to say seriously gabriella red-eyed and serious laughed briefly well you were a beautiful child margaret persisted miss flora let miss sylvia and me go on and take a peep at you in a blanket the day you came miss lily was very sick after the trip and she didn't get out of bed for a week and hedda and i had you and didn't we make miss sylvia jealous with the fuss we made over the new baby i remember one day they were all in black then for poor mrs roger and mr roger came home suddenly from one of his trips poor man we'd not seen him since the day of the funeral he got here too late to see her again gabriella asked knowing the answer he'd gotten here the very day of the funeral margaret nodded and he just stood looking at her as she lay there dead she'd been more than five years his wife and she was only twenty-two as she lay there with the flowers all around her and he said to poor miss flora i killed her flora and out of the house he walked and we never saw him again until this day i'm talking about six months after the funeral by this time miss lily your mother was all over her illness but the typhoid had left her very weak and light-headed and sometimes she talked very queer or cry or whatever it was margaret went on in fact that was the beginning of her trouble she never again was quite right here interpolated margaret significantly touching her forehead well this day she was all in white and she had an innocent sort of childish look and mr david was home from school and miss sylvia was running about and you were just getting to the cunning age my goodness but you were a beautiful baby the old woman said again affectionately well mr will fleming was home he was out of a job again and they were all out on the lawn mr david was a fine little fellow of about thirteen then and he saw mr roger first and he went running over and roger fleming came up to them and asked as he always did any news of tom any letter from my boy 
and they told him no and then miss lily held you out to him so gently and her face flushed up and she said roger you've hardly seen my pretty baby and i remember his taking you in his arms and saying well hello here's a yellow-headed fleming at last nobody seemed to make much of my charpentier blood or my name gabriella observed dryly i remember margaret resumed without answering perhaps unhearing that after a while mr roger said to miss flora so sadly look at them david and sylvia and this baby but my own boy will never be master of wastewater and she said to him roger he'll come home dear but indeed he didn't ever come home margaret finished sighing and miss sylvia's father died a year or two later and never left a son behind him and after a while poor mr roger died he died a broken man and then we had to send miss lily to crosswick's for she got worse and worse she was there for fifteen years but crosswick's broke up last year and miss flora didn't know quite what to do with her margaret added and it was only while she was finding some other good place where she'd be happy that we thought of keeping her here poor gentle little soul she'd never hurt you or anyone her voice died away into silence and gabriella sat staring darkly into the fire with a clouded face for a long time the two sat together the girl with her young strong hands locked in margaret's and her eyes absently fixed on the dying fire and gradually the old woman's soothing voice had its effect margaret gently begged her not to worry there was no harm done and perhaps it would be better after all to have her see her mother daily and naturally as the poor little mental and physical wreck she was and get over the fright and mystery once and for all and now gabriella must take a bottle of hot water upstairs and get to sleep for it was long after four and they mustn't keep poor hedda up all night hedda was quite frankly snoring in the rocker back in the gloom but gabriella obediently roused herself from deep study and kissed margaret and retraced her way up through the cold halls her room looked tumbled and was cold she opened the window still night 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 black and cold and unbroken there was no end to this winter night but gabriella was young and cruelly wearied in mind and body and after three minutes in the cool sheets a heavenly warmth began to envelop her and she fell deeply asleep end of chapter ten everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.